with Abraham. His binding agreement to fulfill that promise. And in chapter 17, we saw the sign that God gave Abraham. The sign of circumcision to confirm that covenant. Of course, there have been bumps along the way. Abraham and Sarah haven't always been the most faithful, admirable, or morally upstanding examples. They've been guilty of poor judgment, distrust, and impatience. They've doubted God's power, disobeyed God's word, and mistreated people around them. Sometimes they've been downright stubborn. For example, in chapter 20, Abraham repeats the same mistake he made in chapter 12, telling King Abimelech that Sarah wasn't his wife, but was actually his sister. But after 25 years of these ups and downs, these starts and stops, these successes and failures, in Genesis 21, we finally see Abraham and Sarah's gracious God. Our gracious God fulfill his promise to give them a child. But keep in mind, as we've said from the beginning, this story isn't so much about Abraham. It's about God. And God isn't just fulfilling a promise to Abraham and Sarah. He's fulfilling a promise to Adam and Eve way back in Genesis 3. God is executing his plan to repay Satan for what he has done. To redeem us and our fallen world from sin, death, and judgment. So in a sense, Abraham and his family are just one step along the path. They're an important step, no doubt. But they're a step nonetheless. The ultimate fulfillment of God's promise in the Bible God's promise to Adam and Eve doesn't come with the miraculous conception of Isaac. It will come with the miraculous conception of Jesus. God will be faithful to that plan, come what may. And in Genesis 21, we see that God's faithfulness is no laughing matter. So open up to Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that we can come together as friends, as neighbors who have many things in common, but we can also come together through our differences. We have differences of experiences, differences of opinions, differences of backgrounds, and yet we can look each other in the eye and honestly call each other brother and sister. Not just in some well-meaning, sentimental sense, but in a very real way, we can look at one another as siblings in Christ. And that is all a result of your power and your grace and your goodness. So Lord, help us love each other. As brothers and sisters, help us be the church who you call us to be. I pray that you would unify us, that you would sanctify us, that you would provide for us. Help us be your people in this time and in this place. And one important way to do that is 
to listen to your word. And so, Lord, I pray you'd be with us as we listen to this word this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts and minds that are open to the words that you teach us from Genesis 21 or from anywhere else in your inspired word. I pray that you would equip us to be the saints you've declared us to be. Lord, help us learn about you, learn from you, and learn to love you. Again, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your faithfulness. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, maybe you've read articles or seen news stories about the many health benefits of laughter. Studies have shown that laughter reduces stress hormones. It releases endorphins, which can help relieve pain. And laughter can strengthen T-cells to boost our immune systems. There really is truth to the old saying that laughter is the best medicine. But the benefits of laughter are more than just physical. They're also mental, emotional, and social. We tend to associate laughter with good memories and feelings of joy with people we love. Viktor Frankl, a famous author who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp, called laughter one of the soul's best weapons for self-preservation in the midst of devastating suffering. He looked around. He saw the people he suffered with and recognized that those who often survived were those who found ways to laugh, even in the midst of terrible calamities. But if you think about it, as good as laughter can be, it isn't always good. A giggle can be ill-timed, inappropriate, and come across as insensitive. Perhaps we have a habit of laughing out of sheer nervousness. Sometimes we laugh sarcastically. And at other times, we might laugh because we simply don't have the energy left to cry. So laughter can be a wonderful gift of God in many ways. But the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 3.4 still holds true. That there really is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Now you might wonder why we're talking so much about laughter. Well, it's because it's been a consistent theme throughout the past few chapters of the book of Genesis. Look back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. We read there. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Slightly different spelling. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now look to chapter 18, starting in verse 12, verses we read last week. After Sarah overhears this promise reaffirmed to Abraham, look at what she does. 
So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Both Abraham and Sarah cannot help but chuckle at the idea of God fulfilling this promise. It was so absurd, so ridiculous, so unthinkable that they thought it was a joke. But their laughter displayed a lack of faith in God. And God's faithfulness is no laughing matter. So now turn to chapter 21, verse 1, as we continue the story. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Look again at verse one. The Lord visited. The Lord did. God spoke. Remember what we said a moment ago. This is God's story, and God is the one pulling the strings. He's the primary agent here. In a way, Abraham and Sarah are passive parties along for the ride. And the one time they tried to take the driver's seat, back in chapter 16, when they attempted to seize control of the promise because they were tired of waiting for God to act. How did things go? They didn't go very well. Abraham impregnated Sarah's servant, Hagar. Hagar got arrogant. Sarah got jealous. And Abraham didn't do much to help matters. And when Abraham and Sarah failed to act righteously toward Hagar, God stepped in. Because again, he's the main player in this story. But thankfully, this time is different. Ishmael was conceived and born like any other baby, while Isaac is conceived and born by God's power. It was hilarious to think that this couple, old and worn out, could possibly have a child. And yet here comes Isaac. Remember that question that God asked Abraham in chapter 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, we now have our answer. And Abraham and Sarah have a living, breathing reminder that nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
Because from now on, every time they're tempted to doubt God's promises, they can look at Isaac, whose name literally means laughter. And they can remember God's faithfulness. They can know that God's faithfulness is no laughing matter. It's a happy ending to the story, isn't it? All's well that ends well, even if it took a very long time, right? Until we turn to verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. There it is again. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he too is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verses 15 through 21, I think, are one of the most moving passages One of the most moving stories in all of the Old Testament. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So it turns out that Abraham and Sarah are not the only ones laughing. Perhaps Hagar laughed at Sarah back in chapter 16, when she got a little full of herself. But things really went south when Sarah saw Hagar's son, Ishmael, laughing in chapter 21. Now, what exactly did Ishmael do to offend Sarah? We're not totally sure. Was he really just laughing? Was he horsing around the way children do? Or was he up to something more sinister? with Sarah simply looking for the first opportunity she had to get rid of her rival. But whatever Ishmael was doing, Sarah didn't take kindly to it. 
and there's only room for one laughing child in that household. So what does she do? She throws them out. Look who's laughing now. Sarah has her promised heir. The true heir of God's promise, not some mangy, half-breed, red-headed stepchild. Hagar and Ishmael have become disposable. But once again, God steps in, the way he tends to do throughout the Bible. He finds Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness and promises that he too will become a great nation. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that Abraham and Sarah are not the only beneficiaries of God's faithfulness. Foreigners like Hagar and Ishmael benefit from it, too. Think back to the initial promise of Genesis 12, when God said that all nations of the earth would be blessed. We already see that happening here, but we see it even more in the New Testament. So in the end, God kept his promise. Even when the cards were stacked against it and the obstacles seemed insurmountable and the timeline was moving too slow. In the end, God's faithfulness was no laughing matter. In the end, this long, winding, topsy-turvy story of God fulfilling his word to give Abraham an heir. Which, by the way, will take an even more shocking turn next week in chapter 22. It all reminds us of this truth. That God is faithful. So rather than laughing off his faithfulness, this story challenges us to cast our hopes upon it. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Doesn't the Christian faith sound kind of silly at times? We're supposed to believe that the one true God of the universe, who, by the way, is somehow both three and one, is redeeming humanity and the world from two people's sin in a perfect garden. Who knows how long ago because they were led astray by a talking snake. Better yet. God's ultimately going to accomplish this redemption through an ancient Jewish man in his 30s who was supposedly born of a virgin, claimed to be divine, performed miracles, got killed, rose, ascended, whatever that means, and someday will return. And for some reason, we're told to trust in his body and blood for eternal forgiveness Live in obedience to him by the power of some mysterious Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then look forward to our own resurrection and existence in heaven. Can we really blame someone for laughing when they hear all of that? I mean, doesn't it all sound a little bit crazy? Are we really expected to believe all of this? Yes, because it's all true and because nothing is too hard for the Lord, even if we're tempted to laugh at him. So sometimes we might be tempted to laugh at God's promises 
God's faithfulness. But do you wonder if God ever laughs at us? In Psalm 2, we read about kings of the earth plotting against God. They have big ambitions to break free from God's authority. Grand plans to get out from under his thumb. And what does God do in Psalm 2, verse 4? God laughs at them. He laughs at them. Can we really not see how funny it is to think that we could live without God? The thought that we can fix the world on our own, answer every question, right every wrong, and solve every problem is quite frankly a comedy. But it's also a comedy that turns out to be a tragedy. Thankfully, God does not just sit back and laugh at our predicament. He stoops, bends, condescends, and intervenes to save us from our own devices. Even so, people who trust in God's promises may sometimes be treated like a punchline. We might be tempted to laugh at God. God might even laugh at us when we get a little too full of ourselves. And the world may occasionally laugh at believers. The Apostle Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. Those who do not believe may consider us fools for preaching the folly of the cross, a crucified Messiah. But in the words of William Shakespeare, jesters often prove to be prophets. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul acknowledges that if Christ didn't actually rise from the dead, then we really do deserve to be laughed at. We should be mocked, even pitied by the surrounding world if this stuff isn't true. But Christ has been raised. And our hope isn't in this world. It's in the world to come. We will be vindicated in the end because God is faithful. Jesus himself taught in Luke chapter 6, verse 21, that his disciples, people who weep now, are actually blessed. Why? How? Because one day we will laugh. We look forward to a kingdom where God will wipe away our tears, where death will be no more, where there will be no more mourning, crying, or pain, but only joy in the presence of our holy God. And I suspect there might be some laughter there, too. There was another woman who received a somewhat humorous message from God concerning a Miraculous conception. Unlike Sarah, she was not old and worn out. She was actually quite young. In fact, she was a virgin. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, did Mary laugh when she heard that message from Gabriel? The text doesn't say so, but it's not that hard to imagine. But like Abraham and Sarah, Mary would learn firsthand that God's faithfulness is no laughing matter. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. In fact, nothing will be impossible with God, no matter how silly we might think it sounds. God blessed Sarah. He blessed Mary. He even blessed a foreigner, a Gentile, like Hagar. And through these stories, God blesses us. Because the stories we read in Genesis are the beginnings of our blessing. They're the beginnings of our salvation. Paul indicates as much in Galatians chapter 4, going into chapter 5. In this notoriously confusing passage, Paul compares believers in Jesus to Isaac over and against Ishmael. Paul ultimately concludes that Christians are not children of slavery, but children of freedom. And we do not become children of freedom through human effort, but through God's promise, through God's work, through God's action, through God's faithfulness. Believers in Christ are born by God's grace. We are set free from sin. And we might think it sounds silly, absurd, Ridiculous or even hilarious at times. But every single bit of it is true. God was faithful to his promise to Abraham and Sarah. He was faithful to his promise to Adam and Eve. And he will be faithful to his promise to save all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can laugh all we want. At how crazy some of these stories might sound. But we should also keep in mind that God's faithfulness is no laughing matter. He's proven it time and time and time again. And he will prove it again in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you this day. Again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. We read story after story after story of your faithfulness in your word. And I pray that 
rather than just knowing these stories in our heads or even laughing at them at how bizarre they might sound at times. I pray that these stories of your faithfulness in your word would remind us of your faithfulness to us. That if you were faithful to Adam and Eve and faithful to Abraham and Sarah and faithful to all these other people in this book, you will be faithful to us as well. Help us remember your faithfulness when we're tempted to laugh at the idea. Help us remember your faithfulness when we're tempted to cry. Help us remember your faithfulness during times of great success and joy and times of great failure and despair. Lord, help us cast our hopes upon you, even when it seems odd, even when it seems foolish, even when we might be laughed at or misunderstood for casting our hopes upon you. Help us do just that, knowing that you have always been faithful and you will always be faithful, come what may. Help us be faithful to you in response by the power of your spirit. Help us trust you. Help us obey you. Help us love you to the end until we see all of your promises fulfilled once and for all in Christ. Again, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.